Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the Grow Landscapers podcast. The podcast where we delve deeper into landscape business, interviewing legends of the UK landscaping industry. So, join host Nick Ruddle as he explores their thoughts, insights and experiences. That's here on the Grow Landscapers podcast. Hello and welcome to the Grow Landscapers podcast. I'm Nick Ruddle and today I've got a very, very special guest, Mr Wayne Grills from Bali. How are you this morning? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Nick. How are you? I'm very well, very well. I feel very honoured and privileged to have you on the uh, on the show today. We have um, Barley Royalty, the main man himself. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's for people to get to get to know you, find out what your background is, what your thoughts are around Barley in the future. Um, and I think um, that, that'll add a lot of value to people and hopefully it will incentivise people to also join as a Barley member for those who are not currently Barley members, if there are any out there. Um, still at this um, at, the, at the moment. So, um, without further ado, let's get cracking. Um, how long have you been working within the industry, and in what capacity? Um, so, I've been with uh, with Bali as an association for eleven years now, actually. Um, so, eleven years uh, in April just gone. Um, but I've been in the landscape, sorry, in landscaping, the land based industry for the last twenty eight years, in one guise oh. or another. Um, so, um, so yeah, so fairly, fairly lengthy time. Um, but I, I'm sure we'll, we'll probably come on to that as, uh, as time moves on. Um, but yeah, so 11 years with Bali, which is, uh, fan- fantastic. It's probably actually the longest time I've spent with any organization in, in one place. So. Wow. It says a lot, doesn't it? It says it all. Obviously enjoying yourself. So, so where did it all start then? What, what the early years, um, where did you grow up? What was your career path leading up to Bali? You know, over to you. Um, so, so I'm a I'm a Mancunian. Um, uh, I was uh, born and grew up in Manchester, um, and uh, moved at a fairly early age. I moved around about sixteen, still within Lancashire. Um, my mum and dad uh, set up a, a hotel, um, and uh, and I went to work for them. So, so my early early career uh, was fourteen years in the hotel and catering industry. So I started out life as a chef, um, and uh, and moved on to front of house areas from there. 
eventually, uh, the last seven years of those 14, I spent in uh, human resource manager positions uh, throughout sort of hotel chains like uh, Jarvis Hotels, uh, Whitbreads, et cetera. Mm. And, um, and then decided at the grand old age of 30 that I, uh, I either wanted to be in a head office role uh, or a multi-site role, and that wasn't coming quite quickly enough. Uh, so I, uh, I started looking around. I moved on into my first awarding body um, of qualifications, uh, which you know, was in an industry that actually had nothing to do with at all, uh, and that was clothing and textiles. Um, so, um, so I moved into uh, into that, and we then sort of diversified and digressed from there. And I literally uh, took on the role of MD or chief exec then, uh, from there on in, uh, in a range of industries. So. Clothing textiles I mentioned, uh, animal care, small animal care, gamekeeping, fish husbandry, uh, museum heritage awards, um, and then went into waste management. So the company I was working for bought some, some companies in the Midlands, which is what brought me down to the Midlands. And um, uh, so I worked in waste management and uh, delivering uh, well, landfill tax credit scheme, uh, as well as uh, delivering business startup advice through business link contracts uh, across oh. three different companies. Um, and uh, did that for about five years before moving into uh, the next awarding body, which was um, extractives and mineral processing or quarrying and mining. Um, <laughs> and then um, a couple of years doing that, two and a half years doing that, and then moved into uh, Lantra Awards here on Stony Park, uh, where Barley's based as the MD of Lantra Awards there. So uh, putting about 60,000 learners a year uh, through training courses and qualifications. Wow. So from hotels to chefing to minerals to all sorts, really, uh, waste management and now ending up at Bali. So yeah. um, what, what, what a lovely, diverse range of sort of experiences you have. And I suppose you, you, you pick up something from every, everywhere, every industry you're in, don't you? I mean, what would you see that, that say is like the, the common kind of things that are maybe transferable? What, what would you say, you know, you've learned throughout that, that's like a common common with all of those? I think, I mean, some of it's about knowledge transfer, isn't it? Um, you know, and running a business, uh, no matter which industry you're in, there are certain principles of running a business that that are very, very similar. Um, and I think on my interview uh, here at Bali with the board members, I think that was the question. You know, it was a case of, well, they had some candidates that worked in the industry and others that didn't. And um, they said, well, why should we pick you? And I said, well, look, you know, if you're wanting somebody that can provide technical advice to your members, then that's clearly not me because I've not been, I've not grown up in this industry. Mm. Um, but if you want somebody to help run the association, build it, build the membership base, uh, look at the customer service elements of what we do uh, with the membership, um, then I'm the guy. And uh, mm. fortunately, uh, they went for it. So. Yeah, I suppose it's quite a refreshing, really, to have someone outside of the industry. It gives you slightly different perspectives, doesn't it? And you come with different ideas, not not necessarily um, um, sort of influenced by your own experiences. You sort of see it with fresh eyes, quite naively, probably, but but probably quite in a, in, a, in a good way. Being a little bit more naive, not not being so um, you know sort of long in the tooth. So uh, so that's good. So obviously it worked. You've been here eleven years, so that's good. Um, obviously enjoying it obviously doing a good job so what would you say um, you like best about your role as the chief exec these days um <clears throat> what do I like best uh pretty much everything I've uh, I've always said I don't think I could just be a Monday to Friday nine to five sitting behind the desk kind of person um and that's certainly not not the role here at Bali mm. so I I 
when I was brought on, of course, I was on uh, as chief operations officer um, with a focus and a need uh, in order to look at the internal systems and processes, um, looking at building up the staff, looking at the customer service element and what we were delivering to members. Um, so from that point of view, um, it was quite varied in its own. Um, and then since then, uh, the board sort of recognised that the role was changing considerably. There was a lot of lobbying involved, uh, which continues today, um, and meetings with stakeholders, industry meetings, that sort of thing. So actually, uh, the chief exec role uh, was, was probably already doing it, to be quite honest, but the board yeah. felt it was appropriate to then just change my title um, and, uh, and sort of have that recognition within the industry as well. But um, for me, it's the same job. I, you know, I'm, I love what I do. Um, I love what I do for Bali. And I think, you know, I've always said from day one that I've never, and I've worked in some industries, as you know, um, but I've never had uh, such a warm welcome as I have done from the landscape industry itself, mm. uh, from the people within it, uh, are just fantastic. I'm, I'm still in awe uh, after 11 years of those individuals that, of course, can name plants and their uh, uh, their Latin names as well. Um, I still quite, can't quite get there, unfortunately, with things like that. But, um, but yeah, I think there are some fantastic people in our, in our industry and, and some great people to learn from, actually. Yeah, there, there really is. And there's so much passion and so much abundance. I mean, with, with the interviews we've already done on this show, the abundance and, and the 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 real natural passion and the desire to help people and really want and that's why they're on that's why you're on this show is so that other people can learn from your years of experience and and if, if you can just give back something that someone finds useful and it, it helps them then obviously it's going to be a well worth a worthwhile thing to do but yeah. um you mentioned there about systems and processes that's what you were brought in to do and it's interesting because it, although you're not a landscape gardener or a landscape business all great businesses all businesses are run on systems and processes and, and, and the importance of having those in all, all businesses, not just a landscape business, but every business. So, so what would you say um, about that then? What, what, you know, what, what did you have to come in and do to improve the systems and processes that you found when you came into to Bali? Because it, it's like running your own business in a way, isn't it? So you're going through the same kind of processes. It is absolutely like running your own business. And it, it was the first role that I'd had uh, in 20 years uh, that I was running a, a business that didn't have a parent company. So that was quite refreshing in itself. So, um, mm. so, so the best bits, I think, uh, and just coming back to systems and processes, those systems and processes don't work without the people. Yeah. Um, you know, it was exactly the same when I worked in the hotel industry. It's been exactly the same with every other business. It's, you know, anybody can build a building, build an office, build a hotel, et cetera. Mm. Actually, it's the people that give it life. Mm. Um, and that's one of the most crucial things. So you can have all the systems and processes you like, um, but actually, if you've not got people that are signed into that and actually committed and loyal to that, then uh, that just goes away completely. You know, you will spend every audit trying to backtrack because you've not got the right people in place. So for me, the people is, is one thing. So the Bali team here um, are phenomenal. Um, they're a great team to work with. Very proud of them. The Bali board members, um, I have to say, you know, form part of that team. And um, even though we've had some changes in board members over the years, everybody that has been on this board is committed to the cause, committed to the association mm. um, and so on. So um, and therefore stakeholders alike in the industry. That's the other sorry, the other best bit about the job. But in terms of systems and processes, it's just about 
for me, it's about going through it, you know, methodically and logically and saying, mm. well, okay, how can we provide the best customer service and then making that system or that process reflect that yeah. um, rather than being driven by the process. Uh, you know, I was, I was involved in a business many years ago when the BS5750 standard came out, the quality standard, which is now, of course, the ISO 9001-2015 standard. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we had consultants coming in, uh, helping us with that, writing copious uh, processes that actually, in my opinion, didn't, you know, they, they hindered what we were trying to do mm -hmm. rather than supported what we were trying to do. And that's the crucial thing, you know, get a process go through it yourself. What can we do to, the, to be the best at what we do and then write it down? That's your process. So, yeah. you know, think about it first rather than thinking about a logical process and then trying to stick to it because that potentially is where you come unstuck in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and certainly my experience in the past. So. Yeah. I think it's key, key lesson there is to keep it simple, keep it logical because if it's easy to understand, people will follow it. If, if you try to make it over unnecessarily overcomplicated, people just won't won't follow it. And I think the challenge with some of those ISO sort of um, projects is that it's done for a box ticking exercise for a lot of people just to get through tenders, you know, and, and they don't actually embed that culture into the business. And it's interesting what you said there about um, um, getting the right people that, and I think, I think it, the, the biggest challenge that we find or I hear with business owners or the biggest frustrations is that they, they might put systems and processes in place and they, they might do some training on those, but then people don't always follow it. So there's a system, but it's not being followed. So I think one of the, one of the, the good sort of insights really is to, is when, in, when you're interviewing people to explain that, you know, you want systems thinking people, people that like following processes that can see the value in that and understand why it's so important we do that, you know, because of the obvious reasons it gives you consistency, it minimizes mistakes, it saves money, it makes you more efficient. So you know, I think, I think that's important there that you've got the systems in place, nice and simple 80 20 kind of rule systemization 20 uh, 80 humanization 20 percent. so you've got to have great people that see the value in running systems but ultimately everything you do as an organization as everyone's is it's uh, it's based on systems based on processes just repeat repetitive kind of tasks that you do either daily weekly monthly quarterly but um getting people following those consistently so it's interesting you've seen the value of that it's one of the first things you did when you came into this role into barley yeah very good very and, good and i think nick it, it it runs through as well so you know if we're going through audits for example uh, whether that be the iso 9001 or whether it be investors in people um you know those audits or, or financial audits um we we've got to see those as uh, as a benefit to the business ultimately it's got to add value to the business uh, in order for it to have meaning and if you know if something comes out of that audit then that's a positive because it's helping you move the business forward i think that's the way you've got to look at it and i think that runs through certainly on um what we have we call a, a qsr a quality standards review uh, which is very similar to the initial vetting that people go through when they first join barley right. um, and uh, the qsr officers that are going out very often are reporting back that uh, the businesses they're going out to visit really find it helpful. Um, somebody coming in and looking at, the, as you say, a third party almost coming in, mm. looking at their business and suggesting, mm. actually, there are ways to improve, you know, should mm. you want to. Um, yeah. And that adds real value, I think, uh, to members' businesses. So uh, what I would say is if there are any members out there and they're worried about going through QSR uh, and trying to delay it, then no, absolutely, you know, do it and, and see what you can get from it.
Yeah, well, I think all those things, it's a constant work in progress, isn't it? Fine-tuning all the time, reviewing, see where you are, evaluating where you are, how, you know, what's working, what's not, how could we improve? Um, businesses like that, it never stays the same for, for, for long periods of time. You've got to constantly review, check how, how things are doing, if you can improve on things going forward, because technology changes, people change, a whole bunch of things change, you've got to change with it. Um, okay, good. So, um, look, I'm aware that you're working on a new strategic plan at Bali. Um, I know that we can't necessarily give away all the secrets at the moment, but if, if you were to sort of just say, so what, what, what might some of those uh, objectives be for the organisation over the next sort of five? Uh, so, yeah, so we've got a, a new strategy for the next three years, which we will be launching uh, pretty soon. Um, our, key, our key objectives for going through those really will be, uh, so obviously we've, we've reset the, the vision and the mission for the organisation moving forward. Um, and put in some new values. Um, actually, our values uh, previously were support, promote and inspire. We've got some new ones along the way. Um, and uh, the values I think had to, be, had to be reviewed because we were looking at how we can run those values throughout the organization, not just with membership. I think our previous values were probably outward facing, thinking about members um, in the membership all the time. Mm. where actually values for me are much more intrinsic um, throughout the business. They have to work internally as well as externally, mm. uh, have to have meaning and have to be inclusive. Um, so I think from that point of view, we've got some new values coming as well, which would be really great to see, uh, which will really feed in, I think, with our um, investors and people standards uh, and what we're trying to achieve um, with the team internally that way as well. But our, uh, our main objectives will be to lead the industry, uh, build the membership base, be relevant to end clients, and I'll talk a little bit more about that if I've got time um, uh, as we move forward, and future-proof the organisation. So that's our four main work strands as we move forward. Um, but being relevant to end clients, actually, um, I spent you know Monday to Friday last week down at Chelsea Flower Show, the RHS Chelsea Flower Show, um, and the one thing, and I, I think I said this to every single member that came to, to the stand to see us and said, how's it going? The one thing that was really refreshing this year was that I think pretty much every 99.5% probably of all of those members of public that came to the stand understood that they needed to have an accredited professional running through a professional organization. And I think in order to do their work, mm. um, that's a real sea change from previous years. Um, I, I think I joked with a couple of our members and said, well, that's it, I can retire now, you know, because job done. But um, uh, obviously it's huge, it's massive, we've got a long way to go. But it's very, very good and encouraging, I think, and almost proud for me, actually, um, to stand and listen to people saying, we're mm. going to have some work done or we've got a new garden or I bought a new house with a garden that needs sorting. And then the next words that come out of their mouth is, but we, need, we, we know we need somebody to do that and do it well. Um, mm. I think I spoke to one lady who said that she had builders in to do their extension and normally we go oh uh, okay don't let them touch the landscape but she knew that already you know she said yeah. they've they've offered to do the garden but I know I need somebody that knows what they're doing mm. um, that's such a sea change from previous years it was it was just as I say so refreshing to hear it was great yeah really educating everyone you know everyone about the industry and, and why not have you know a governing body that that that, that endorses the great and the best companies. I mean, it's it's great for the customer because it gives you peace of mind that actually, you know, I'm working with a reputable company that's serious about what they do. And um, 
the the the, uh, the builders are always trying to get on the action, aren't they? To uh, to try and get a bit of extra work out of the project. But no, I think leave it to the professionals, leave it to the experts. But it's interesting what you said there. Um, every single person we've had on this show so far has all all mentioned the the the, the importance of values. And having values in any kind of business, both internally and externally, you know, for, for those kind kind of purposes, um, it's probably not something that people necessarily feel or even very aware of when they first go into business about being, what are the important things? Well, I need to have a website. I need to make sales. I need to have the right people. I need to have tools. I need to have a van. Values, I don't think, would be at that point um, it, very high up on their their list of priorities. But I've said this for the last I don't know five or ten years. I think values are the most important thing in a business. I know you've got to have the the accounts, you know, right, you know, finances, financials have got to be in the right place. You've got to have the right people on the bus, but to attract the best people, the people with like-minded values as, as yourself, as the owner, it's the values that stick, it's the, that glues everything together. And without the values, you can end up recruiting poor people or people that are not right for your company with your values and your culture um, and getting the right people with shared values everything starts to click into place. So it's interesting that you're saying that from Barley's point of view, how important values are as well. And I know we worked on, on values a while back. Yeah. Very impressive. Very good. Doing all the right things. So you've got the right systems in, in place, got the right people with shared values. And um, hence why I think you've got such a strong team at head office. Uh, at, at Landscape House, we're not, we don't Thank say. Thank <laughs> <laughs> Landscape House. Um, okay, right. So moving on then. So what would you say you see as the uh, the biggest challenges for the landscaping industry as it stands today? Um, I seem to have been saying this for a number of years now, unfortunately, but um, skills and staffing shortages uh, is the most well, the biggest single thing I think that everybody feels. Um, I think I said to somebody last week, actually, I can probably count on one hand the number of businesses that say they're fully staffed. Mm. Um, and you know, it's the one problem that, that we seem to have as an industry, but we're not the only industry. Um, anybody I speak to uh, from a range of industries have all got the same issue. And the biggest concern for me is with the announcements last week of um, you know, the, the uh, number of job vacancies uh, outnumber the numbers on the unemployment list, um, you know, is even a bigger concern, to be quite honest, because, um, you know, the concern is where are these people going to come from? I think what we're seeing, however, is we're seeing Bali members uh, become real innovative uh, in terms of what they're looking at, how they're looking at bringing people on board, um, whether it's, you know, part-time, seasonal, all of those kind of things, just to help out with the business. They're, their real solution finders are, are Bali members, I have to say, um, you know, both coming out of the previous recession and, you know, all this, this issue that we've had in the last few years now with, um, with COVID and with Brexit and all of those kind of things. The industry is so resilient. It really yeah. is. It's, it's phenomenal to see. But it doesn't mean to say that they're, they're not having struggles like any other businesses. It's just that they're good at trying to find ways around it and move forward mm -hmm. uh, from that point, point of view. I think um, the, the biggest thing for us, of course, is, you know, as you'll know, we started Go Landscape as a careers initiative back in 2018. It was launched. Um, that's been going uh, phenomenally well. Uh, we're in the process at the moment of recruiting for another education officer, because unfortunately, while Steve, <laughs> Steve was doing some research um, uh, for um, uh, Go Landscape and the Bali Academy and the standards work that we've been doing, 
um, he uh, he managed to find another job for himself. Um, so we're we're in search of another education officer uh, yeah. right now. So um, and then we we are looking at potentially building that with an additional person, perhaps and as as an assistant, um, because it really was taking off. It was it was really hitting the mark. Mm. Careers advisors mm. uh, for schools and colleges, etc really keyed into it you know and and we've got a great group of ambassadors uh that have been trained up by steve who've been supporting uh, on the careers events going into schools colleges uh looking at career uh changes you know of those kind of events uh, armed forces resettlement programs so you know we're looking at all sorts of things to try and bring people into the industry uh, mm. and show it as a credible a credible career path um we do talk about the wider horticultural industry it's not all landscape. Mm. Mm. Um, but uh, and that's just to be fair to everybody to kind of show that there is a, a pathway um, yeah. and that you know even if you come in at landscape operative level should you want to you've got the desire and the knowledge etc you can work up you know you could be a Tim O'Hare soil scientist you know or something like that for example so yeah. I think there's lots of opportunities um, without a shadow of a doubt and I think uh, it, it is however one of the biggest challenges that we've got mm. others I think plant health and biosecurity is a huge concern um, I think if you talk to DEFRA, I think they've got over 1,100 uh, pests and diseases on their pests and disease register now, on the plant right. health register, um, with around about 100 new pests and diseases coming into the country a year. Um, that's a consideration and a concern because uh, there are new plant health regulations uh, that have been introduced earlier this year, um, and even more due to take place uh, in future months, I think. Uh, it's probably the best way to say it. it's been delayed. It was supposed to be July, but it's been delayed. Um, and then right now, um, you know, all of our members, everybody in the landscaping industry, whether a member of an association or not, is feeling the pinch with regards to the cost of materials and, and the shortage of supply materials. A little bit better now than it was, but um, the cost isn't necessarily because, of course, just the cost of uh, cost of living, inflation, supply materials, all of those kind of things is having a huge impact at the moment. Um, and then finally, for me, it's just about government recognition for the industry. Mm. Um, that's a challenge. Uh, we're getting better at it. We're getting far more of our civil servants understanding of what our industry is capable of and what it can produce and what it has produced. Um, so I think we're beginning to, well, we get, I was going to say win the battle. I don't think it's a battle, but I, and I don't think we're winning it yet. I think <laughs> we've seen the chink in the armour. Let's put it that way. That's probably... Uh, uh, the way to describe it. So there's, again, there's still a long way to go, but we work as part of the Ornamental Horticulture Roundtable Group. Um, I think possibly to be named the Environmental Horticulture, Horticulture Roundtable Group in the future. Um, but I think um, we're seeing uh, some good inroads being made um, and getting some recognition uh, coming back, not necessarily always from ministers, but as say civil servants and, uh, and peers and MPs, etc. Are now beginning to, to sit up and take notice and, and questions being asked mm. in House of Lords, House of Commons, etc., um, about our industry. So that's great to see. Yeah, really starting to get the ball rolling. I think some, sometimes it must feel like wading through treacle, but I think if, if, you, if you keep the faith and you, you spot those chinks in the armour and you just keep going and keep going, you're going to get heard. I know you're doing a lot of lobbying in, in the, well, England and in Scotland, aren't you, at the moment, yeah. to, to get your voice heard. So 
yeah, lots of challenges. And I think, you know, the, the, the recruitment side of things, the skill shortage is, has always been a challenge, I think, in the landscape industry. And I think um, at the moment there's a global skill shortage um, or, or um, issue with re- um, recruitment, you know, just a, a lack of um, good skilled people um, around the world, not just the UK. There's a massive skill shortage and, um, and problems on the recruitment side. So, in, in any way that you can make yourself a more and more of an attractive business to work for, obviously the better. What you're doing with um, Go Landscape is phenomenal, and I think because one of my questions was going to be, you know, what what could you do to make the business, the industry, more attractive? Clearly, the Go Landscape um, initiative is exactly tapping into that 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 end of the market, and I think with what we do with our clients as well is to to backfill. It's a lot easier to to get people in from college from school when they're young and then and give them a career path as opposed to trying to you know get the skills in at the higher end if we can sort of start to feed the bottom and and get everyone younger people you know with with the landscape industry on their mind there's so many different opportunities and there's so much variety in landscaping like you like you mentioned there it's not just landscaping projects it's everything else that surrounds it so um it's not a five minute cure but i think with the right strategy long term and and just that resilience and 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 perseverance i think i think you'll get there i definitely think you will and with the government's help and backing i think that will that will definitely help too very good so um so what 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 frustrates you then about the industry and why um okay so where do i start um and how long have we got i think um i think those those that talk down the industry uh that really frustrates me Mm. i think you know as i say i've I've worked in a number of industries and and this is this is a phenomenal industry it really is um and i think those that talk it down and when i say talk it down I'm, i'm talking about those people that maybe say you know you don't come into this industry to make money really uh you know uh, there's a lot of people in this industry are making a nice living out of the industry thank you very much Um, and actually that in itself doesn't do the perception of our industry any good whatsoever um so so that you know that really uh i mean we've had you know we've had members on our board even that have talked about um you know being down in, in a ditch uh digging out a ditch with fathers and mothers walking past with their children, picking them up from school and saying, look, if you don't do well at school, that's what you'll end up doing. Oh. And these people have got degrees, you know, um, in landscape management, et cetera. And, and you just think that's the, that's the battle that we're facing. Mm. Um, and if we as an industry don't talk about that in a very positive light, mm. then we're really doing ourselves a disservice. Um, and, and we will continue for the next 10 or 20 years, wonder why we're not getting enough people into the industry. So, you know, let's be more positive about it, I think is, is one thing. Um, lack of government recognition, as I said uh, uh, mm. in your previous question, I think that's frustrating mm. sometimes. Um, for an industry that is, you know, back in 2019, we, well, 2017, we did the original research, 2019, it was updated. So for an industry that now provides a 28.8 billion pounds GDP contribution to the UK, uh, 763,000 people employed in the wider horticultural industry, 8.7 billion pounds worth of tax revenues going to government. Why are government not listening to us? Um, and um, and just, yeah, why is our industry not seen as a credible career pathway? I think that frustrates me mm. um, because, you know, there is huge opportunity and huge number of jobs available. Um, so we're here, you know, I think it's just about getting that message out continually. Um, 
And hopefully, if we're seeing a change in public perception and what they're suggesting they need, mm. then they will hopefully drive a demand for professional people that are qualified, et cetera, to, um, to go through that process and, and support them in providing their projects. Obviously, we see it at a slightly different level at commercial um, as opposed to the sort of domestic residential areas. Um, but in commercial, you know, there is a requirement to be trained to the appropriate level, carded, health and safety trained, all of that kind of thing. Um, we don't quite see that in the same way, I think, in the residential, which is where public perception has, has been different in the past. I think. Yeah, but I think you're right. It does start from within. If, you, if you've got people that are working within the industry with their um, beliefs that are not necessarily correct, you know, about, oh, you want to make money, don't come into this industry. I think if, if, if you've got people within the industry, maybe they're not, the industry is not right for them. Um, and, and one of the things that I always say, free advice from unsuccessful people can be very expensive. You know, so <laughs> these people, you've got to be careful who you listen to as well and, and what you take on board because not everyone's the same and other people's issues are their issues. So uh, not nice to see you know all your numbers with all the stats and all the numbers, <laughs> the, the financial numbers about, you know, how big the industry is because it really, really is a huge, huge contributor yeah. to, to the economy. You know, and the environment, obviously. And, so, and landscaping uh, as well, Nick, is actually the largest part of that industry. So uh, you're probably talking about 16 billion of that 28 billion um, actually is is from landscape services. So It's a huge number. It's a huge number. And um, needs to attract a lot more people. And um, you're doing a great job, obviously, doing your, your part to make that happen. Um, okay, so... Um, we haven't got too much time left and I don't want to uh, keep you for too much longer, but what, time, what, what parts of working at Bali have you personally found the most rewarding? Um, well, I, I think, again, it comes back to the people element for me. Mm. Um, you know, working with uh, such a fantastic and committed team uh, here at the uh, Landscape House uh, within Bali itself um, and, and similar with board members, you know, and people in the industry. I think, I think it has to be people-centred. Um, because that's what this industry is about. Um, we have some fantastic schemes, don't get me wrong, and it's brilliant to see those schemes, um, uh, both uh, you know, during and uh, after completion. Um, but I think uh, you know, those schemes are not possible unless you've got those people uh, to deliver them. You know, we've said the same um, uh, about Chelsea. You know, we, we don't think, and we've reported this to the RHS, um, we don't think that contractors get enough um, praise for what they've done uh, on the Chelsea flower, you know, flower show gardens um, in that same way, uh, not detracting away from anything that the designers do. Um, but, you know, it, it wouldn't get built if it wasn't for the contractors um, on the back of it. So, so it's, it's a joint effort. It's about the industry coming together in all its guises and forms um, and making sure that um, they're delivering um, that sort of element of quality. Mm -hmm. It's funny, um, you come back to people again, you know, and, and I think this, whether you're the chief exec of Bali or whether the chief exec of ABC um, Landscapes or any other industry, any other company, any, any other industry, it's about the people running great systems, being happy with the right cultures, like-minded values, all those kind of things. And um, you mentioned there about the, the, the contractors not getting enough recognition at Chelsea. I, I do find that as well. It's bizarre. It's all about the designers. It actually, it's all very well to design, but you've still got to actually have the skills and the expertise to be able to deliver that within a three-week build. Is it three-week build? Three weeks, um, yeah. You know, thankfully, one of our clients got the um, uh, People's Choice Award uh, <laughs> last week, and and again, it's it, it 
they don't get enough credit. I, I don't, don't see there's an, enough exposure. Anyway, that's another story. So we won't go down that road. Um, okay, so um, let's just see. Um, I'm going to ask you a question now, um, which is what I ask everyone on this on this podcast, really. So because you're running your business, I know you don't own the business, but you run it as if you are. So what do you see the most important elements being of, of running a really successful business from all your years of working in this industry and all the other industries that you worked in in the past, if you were to sort of bring it down to maybe a handful, two, three um, elements, what would they be for you? Um, I, well, I, I think I'm just paraphrasing now, really, to be honest, but, but people, uh, systems and processes um, are really important. Um, but obviously the execution of that and, and you know, um, you've got to go back and you've got to review. Have we achieved? Why did we achieve? You know why have we not achieved, um, and and sort of take that on the chin and, and move forward with that. I think um, in in that same way. I think, yeah, I, 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 it's a difficult one because um, you know I, I as far as I'm concerned, I just do what I do, um, and uh, hopefully I've got a good enough team around me to to help achieve that. But um, uh, and we're fortunate at Bali that we've we've been able to do that. But I think. Um, for other businesses out there, I think it's about seeking support. I think it's about um, never feeling that you're alone, um, actually, because I think, you know, those owners of businesses, whether you're owner or not, or whether it's, you know, like my own, it can be a fairly lonely place at times. And I think yeah, you definitely. you may feel as though you're the only one with those issues and those problems to face um, from that perspective. So seek support, um, whatever way and shape form that might be whether it's through your association mm. um, or whether it's, you know, uh, externally uh, from people like yourselves as business coaches um, or whether it's uh, generally from other people in the industry, there is a huge amount of knowledge transfer goes on um, from one person to another in the industry. Um, despite, you know, in, in many cases, it being quite a commercial um, side of the industry, people are so willing to, to support and just share things about how they've, maybe how they've, you know, had issues with their business and got through them and all of those kind of things. So I think, you know, never feel as though you're alone. Um, outside of that, of course, our charities in the industry are there to support, um, you know, our Barley Chalk uh, Fund, uh, a charity that's linked with Barley, that supports people coming into the industry, uh, particularly with training and development um, through the colleges with enrichment programs, all of those sorts of things. And then, of course, we've got Perennial, um, who, uh, of course, had their garden at Chelsea last week as well, um, who support the wider horticultural industry, not only those that work in the industry, but their families as well. And, and that's a, a huge mm. support mechanism that's mm. there that sometimes I think people might be a little bit too proud to just go and ask for help. Um, but it's there, you know, depending on what kind of help you need. If you are a member of the association, engage with the association. Um, it's the biggest, biggest single thing that I think we've still got facing us as an individual uh, organization as a challenge is to make sure that we're getting better engagement from members. Mm. Um, and that will come as part of building our membership uh, objective as we move forward. And then working on the business rather than in it. I think, you know, that that's a crucial thing. And, and I know, uh, Nick, that, you know, that's something that you talk with your clients about uh, mm. continually. And it's a difficult thing to do. It's difficult to let go and let somebody else take the reins for a little while while you then look at the business holistically um, and say, well, OK, how can we better it? You know, um, I was talking to a Barney member at Chelsea last week. It was music to my ears. Hopefully we can do a case study on the back of it. Um, but they said, you know, since they became Barney members, 
the quality of work um, that they're getting coming through for inquiries um, and the amount in which they're able to charge for that work um, has changed considerably. Mm. And I think, you know, you've got to look at the business and got to look at those kind of ways of, of doing that. Otherwise, you might end up delivering the same kind of work um, and slogging your guts out forevermore. Um, and I think that's where the perception is that people don't make money. I think mm. it's just about trying to take that leap of faith uh, and move forward. And for me, um, it's about quality delivery every time, if you can. Yeah. That's you know, crucial. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so much in there. I mean, I could talk to you about that for the next hour, <laughs> but um, I think the, the sort of overriding word there is support because you've got the support around you, the support of Bali, the support of other members, the support of well, coaches or lots of other people are there if you want to reach out to people it's such an abundant industry it's everyone's so helpful they're so passionate they're not like trying to keep everything for themselves i think a lot of people may be struggling in the industry because they don't value what they do and they don't charge accordingly and i think if barley given have gives you that that endorsement and that stamp of approval that that gives you the confidence to then go actually yeah i'm a barley member i, I should be charging this then you know it's it's what you, you you're charging what you're actually worth and i think people may be undervalue that and as a result of that they struggle so those people that say oh you know you want to make money they're not valuing their own skills and what they actually deliver um why why not charge the best you know material costs plant costs um tree costs all going up so you have to you know you have to pass that forward i'm afraid yeah. but um yeah lots of support out there and definitely lots of support within within barley so um well that leads on nicely to my next question then so um what would you say to someone um in a way you've sort of answered your own question with that that case study that you just explained but what would you say to someone thinking about joining barley um who's just sort of on the cusp thinking oh should i should i not uh, well, look, as you might expect, you know, I'm going to say do it, do it sooner rather than later. Um, you know, there's, there's a number of people that we speak to that say, I've been thinking about joining for a while. Um, why wait? Yeah. You know, why wait to get that help and that support and, the, you know, the technical aspects that, that we deliver? Um, you know, all of those, I suppose, all of those benefits. Um, and people say, what's, you know, what's the benefit um, in Bali? We have a list of benefits. There are things that help. We, we've had um, one member that's given us a quote just recently about um, having had a uh, an HR uh, professional um, on um, uh, on a retainer, um, and uh, they were paying them about two thousand pounds a month on a retainer just to support on the HR side of their business, mm -hmm. and then came to Bali and uh, looked at the uh, the Quest support, the Bali HR and uh, health and safety aspects that we have. They do tax and VAT and things like that as well which most associations will have, they'll have something similar, mm. um, but started using it, found it really helpful and has now moved away from the HR consultant. So they're saving themselves 2000 pounds a month, 24 grand has now gone straight to wow. their bottom line yeah. um, just by utilizing the membership benefits wow. um, that, that are there. And that's, you know, that's not taking away, of course, the aspects that you get from networking, et cetera. So it's the old 24-7 telephone helplines, you know, the online template documents, of which there's about 600, all of those things, you know, the insurance, making sure that you're covered properly um, and making sure it's a, an organization as a broker that understands our business. So that, you know, there may be elements of working at height and things like that, which very often we get quotes uh, to say that when they come to claim, they've not been covered properly mm. because of that. Mm. It's all of those aspects, but it's everything else that we've talked about. It's the people in the industry. It's the networking element. It's the learning from. 
you know, uh, my chairman, when I started, um, used to say, well, I'll come to as many events as possible because actually I'll treat it as free consultancy. Um, you know, that's always stuck with me, as you can tell, for 11 years in, I still remember that, I still quote it. Um, you know, go and learn from others in the industry and then see if you can utilize that in your own business and advising clients moving forward, you know, build it into your schemes moving forward. Um, yeah, enhance your own business and enhance the ability to earn more um, on the back of it. Yeah. So I think really do think if someone is on the fence and not quite sure that you've got different benefits to different kinds of people, different kinds of industry, different kinds of um, requirements, haven't you? So there's yeah. something in there for everyone. There's a tailored solution. Um, just look into it and um, yeah just what have you got to lose you've only got everything to gain there's so much more benefits to, to get involved and i think once you do you just won't look back and you'll stay a member year after year because it will be blatantly obvious as to the value yeah. brilliant so um it's been a wonderful um how long have we been 40 45 minutes um could speak to you about this stuff all day long but i know you're busy and uh, i'm sure other people are busy as well but if people do want to get in touch with you or do want to join barley as a member what would you say the best way would be for them to contact you? Um, so the easiest way is just to go onto the Barley website. So it's barley.org.uk um, yeah. is the website address. And there's an inquiry form on there. So literally um, click on the, uh, click on the uh, join our network and there's an inquiry form to fill in. That, that will come straight through to us. Or failing that, if you're, if you're not an email website type person, uh, pick up the phone and just give us a call um, on the main number. So um, yeah, it's as easy as that. And we'll start the process with you and support you through the way through the way. Brilliant. Just one click away. Brilliant, Wayne. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the um, the Queen's Jubilee weekend that we've got coming up. And um, I'll catch up with you very soon. That's great. Thanks, Nick. Take care. Cheers, Wayne. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Grow Landscapers podcast. To get in touch and see how we can help you with your business by emailing nick at nickruddle.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.